Well, hello, hello, New Life Church. It's good to see you again. Go ahead and find yourself a nice seat for the next 30 minutes as we dive into God's Word. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, my name's Eddie. I serve as one of the pastors here at New Life Church. And man, I, God is already moving. Can you sense it? Like, what was happening during worship, God is inviting people to himself. He's saying, draw near to me and I'll, I'll draw near to you. And, and that's really what's on my heart this morning as we enter into a time in God's word. I, I want us to all hear the same thing. What is God inviting us into? What does that drawing sound like today as we spend time in Matthew chapter 6, as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus continues preaching saying this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. God and money. That's what we're talking about today. God and money. But before we talk about it, let's, um, let's pray together. Father, we commit this time to you, and we, uh, we come with open hands and open hearts and say, Lord, what is it that you're inviting us into? What about this topic are the things you want us to hear? And so we, uh, we make this place a holy place. We set this, this time, this room apart for the reason of hearing from you. And so, Lord, we ask that this, that's exactly what would happen, that you would speak and that we would listen and that we would be changed. And thank you, God, for meeting us here. We know you always answer yes to that invitation. And so, Lord, we ask for it in the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, teaching about money is a pretty hard topic to teach on, I think. Um, and also teaching on giving is, is even harder. And there's many reasons for it. But one of the reasons is because specifically on this topic, we're all kind of walking in with our own context. We all have a background or a family background that, that kind of informed this topic. And so many times what we have to do is there's a bit of an unlearning that has to happen before then we can learn what Jesus is teaching us. And what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter six, he is masterfully presenting again, what is it like to be in the kingdom of God? And now he's talking about what's it like to be in the kingdom of God in regards to our finances. And he's talking about these treasures, storing up our treasures in heaven. And, and your treasure is what you value most. It's the thing you say, that's, that's what's most important in my life. And then he says that we're not supposed to store it on earth. We're su supposed to store it in heaven. The principle being that we're supposed to invest into the things that heaven thinks matters. That the priorities of heaven would become our priorities too as we store treasure in heaven. And, and today my hope is that we would not only hear the words of God, but that we would all hear the heart of God on the topic. Not just hear what he's saying, but kind of ask God to say, can I hear how you're saying this, God? That I would, I would even sense the tone of what God is inviting us into. That's what I've been asking God to help me do today. That we would hear his words, but also hear his heart. 
And here in Matthew 6, Jesus gives us three insights into areas of our finances. And, and in this teaching, you will find the path towards the life of generosity and what life of generosity specifically in the kingdom looks like. Because we have to start here. Um, God's not struggling for money. I don't know if that's news for anyone. Uh, God's doing just fine. <laughs> he doesn't need our money. God, uh, God's not struggling. He owns everything. He owns everything. And yet, when there are needs in order for us to build the, the work of the kingdom and, and to meet the needs of those around us, God could just say the word, right? He could just say it and then boom, all those needs are met. And yet, more often than not, that's not happening. Why? Well, that's because maybe the miracle is not something unexpected that's going to show up. Maybe the miracle is in plain sight. Maybe it's already in our hands. And, and God's saying, the reason I'm inviting you into this is because I want you to see the miracle happen right here. The miracle can happen in your heart. And that's what this, this message is about. It's about the heart change that happens when we store treasures in heaven. And this is exactly where Jesus starts. And this is the point he's making at the beginning. He's bringing up this point. Your heart follows your treasure. Your heart, my heart, it follows our treasure. Now, to, to give a little bit of context of this idea that Jesus is bringing up of storing treasures in heaven, that idea is not new. Okay, when Jesus preaches this, he's referring to a practice that's happened all throughout the scriptures. You will find this principle of investing in the things that heaven's all about. You're going to find it before the law is given, you're going to find it in the law, and you're going to find it in the New Testament. This is not new. If we go before the law is given, we find Abraham, and he gives a tenth of everything that he has. And the reason he gives it is, is part of his worship to God. And then, then the law is given, and in Deuteronomy chapter 14, we find this. God saying, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes, that's the tenths, of that year's produce and store it in, the, in your towns so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. You see the, the two main reasons for tithing there in Deuteronomy 14 is, uh, is one, to support the work of ministry. He says it's so that the Levites can, can eat, can have a living. The Levites are the group of people who are in charge of running temple worship at this time. And so what God is saying is because the Levites are gonna spend all their time on running the work of the temple, then the rest of the tribes of Israel, they're gonna bring in a tent so that these people can eat, so that their children can eat, and so, you know, so that they can leave an inheritance for their children. And uh, so they're gonna bring their livelihood through that. But then you also saw the second main reason there too. It's not just for the Levites, it's also for the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows, the, the people in the society of that day that were in need, who, who couldn't feed themselves. And he's saying, I also want you to use that same income to bless those who are in need. Those are the two purposes of the tithe. The main ones are to be able to fund the work of ministry and to help those in need. Then we get to the New Testament and, uh, and what Paul does is he connects those same principles in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 when he says, don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? He's talking about the Levites, right? That, don't you know that that's the system we've been a part of with temple worship? And then he says, in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel 
should receive their living from the gospel. He's connecting the principle. And even though, yes, today we're not running temple worship and we're not, you know, we don't have Levites here today that we're supporting, but what he's saying is in the same way, the principle can be brought into the, the church today and knowing that those who are, who are giving their lives towards the teaching of the gospel, they can make their living off the gospel. And the second principle that we found in the Old Testament about helping those in need, that's also all throughout the New Testament. I could take you to Acts chapter four. In Acts chapter four, that's two chapters after Pentecost, and we just sang about it. It's the church of Christ is born and the spirit lit the flame. All that happens, and then just two chapters later, what you find is these Christians, they start sharing everything with each other. And the scriptures tell us the reason why they do that is so that if there were any needs in the church, that they could be met. And so they share of everything together to meet the needs of those who, who had needs, who had specific things that they were struggling with. That principle is not new. It's the continuance of, of what the people of God have always been like. This is the way it's been to be a, a people of God. We have those two principles all throughout the scripture. And, and in the New Testament, What's new is not some new percentage or some new rule. What's new is, is that the generosity continues to increase and it's a focus on sacrificing. It's, it's like increase and, and it radicalizes it. I love how Pastor Brady says it in his book, Extravagant. He says it this way. He says, the idea of spiritual giving is not minimized in the New Testament. It is radicalized. And that's where you get to the early church and they're like, yeah, we're, we're going to just share all of it. Why? It's, it's stepping into this radical generosity for the same purposes that we've always given to, to, to support the work of ministry and to help those who are in need. That principle is everywhere in the Bible. And with that as the backdrop, then Jesus gives us some revelation when he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can I just say, that's like pretty backwards to how I thought would be reality. Um, I, I thought, okay, wherever I put my heart, the things I love, the things I invest in, my, my desires, my dreams, if, if I love something, if it has my heart, then eventually like, I'll, I'll start giving to it and I'll start putting my treasure and investing into it with my finances. That's kind of what I thought he would say. But what he does is he teaches us how it actually works with our heart and how it actually works is you make a choice to place your treasure somewhere and then your heart's the one that will follow. Now this is, again, it's completely backwards to what I would intuit, but he's saying this is how it works. You make the choice of what you treasure, and then your heart will follow. That's what he says. It's already there, your treasure's somewhere, and then your heart follows that. And so if you're kind of one of those people, you look around in church and you're like, man, some people like, they really love it here, and, and they love serving here, and they're involved, and they feel so connected. I want what they have. They feel like they belong, not just that they attend. And you look at people like that and you wonder what's in the way. Well, it might be this. It might be you're, 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 you, you haven't treasured and invested here and you're not starting to give. And so because you're not treasuring it and storing up that treasure in heaven, then your heart can't follow it. If, if you want to love it, start giving towards it and you will be amazed to find out that your heart does catch up. It really does. And, and you will get to the point where you're like, man, I just love it. I love what we're doing here. And, and that's why you should, you should go visit that nursing home. You should, you should go on a missions trip. Why? Because that's where you start seeing faces and you will fall in love with it. I'm telling you, I've, I've lived this. I've, I've experienced it. But first you make the choice. And the choice is, where are you going to set your treasure? You're going to invest it here on earth? 
where moth and rust destroy, where, where it's temporary? Or are you going to say, no, actually, I'm going to invest in the things that heaven cares about. And heaven cares about people. Heaven cares about those who are hurting. And that's the invitation of Jesus. He's saying, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And maybe that, that idea is where we're missing it. Maybe our heart can't follow because we're just simply disengaging in the idea of setting our treasure in heaven. So he says our heart will follow our treasure. Then the second point he brings up, I'm presenting it to you in the form of a question. I think this is the question he's implying as he gives us this illustration in verse 22. The, the question is, what is your sight set on? What is your gaze set on? Where have you set your eyes, because he says the eyes, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's an illustration. He's saying where you place your eyes, and this means, yes, your physical eyes, but also the eyes of your heart, where you're staring at constantly, what you value the most and put your sight on he says that's the lamp for your body. It's, it's the part that affects everything. And so where you've set your sight, that's going to influence not just what you're staring at, it's gonna influence everything about you. His point is, where you set your sight, you also are setting yourself on a path in life. Those things go together. And uh, you know that reminded me of this uh, story of back when I was a teenager and I did something that was a little dumb, um, which I think, can anybody else relate to that? Anybody else do anything they're not proud of as a teenager? Um, th this, is what <laughs> this is my story in that regard. So as a teenager, there's this video game I really love to play, and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know anything about video games. You don't have to know anything about video games. I'll, I'll explain it all, but um, we were into this video game, and my, uh, my siblings and my cousins, we loved playing it together. This is when the technology was on the rise, and it's when you could, it, this was so new that we could take two gaming consoles and connect them and you could have one team on one side and the other team on the other side of the room. That was like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. And so we're just loving playing this game and uh, we loved it so much that we uh, ventured basically to, to perform a social experiment on ourselves. And we had this idea, we're like, what if one night we got together, we started playing and then we just kept playing until we couldn't no more. That's not a great idea, okay? I'll go on the record. Not a great idea to try this, okay? I'm not, do not try this at home. I'm not recommending it. But uh, so we, we had already lived a full day and then we met at night at uh, my uncle. He was a high school teacher and so we were able to gain access to the computer lab at the high school. So we all like hunkered down there, locked the doors. Every few hours we would see the security guard with a live, you know, a lamp like walking through. Lamp, a flashlight, like what is it? <laughs> like the 1600s, like no. <laughs> No, with a flashlight, like checking on us, are you safe, everything okay? And we just kept on ordering pizza, like over, and we literally ate pizza three times in a row so that we wouldn't die, because we're hunkered down in this room and we just kept playing and playing and playing. And then some 26 hours later, then we're like, yeah, I think we're done. <laughs> Like, what do you do after that? You go outside. Like, you try to just become a human again is what happens. And so I remember finishing playing that game for 26 hours only for bathroom breaks. Like, and that was it. Like, we were still eating and playing. Like, it was just like, come on, let's keep going. And I fall asleep, and then I wake up, I don't know, two days later. I don't know what happened, honestly. I don't have a, a specific memory about it. But when I wake up, I had this really bizarre thing happen to me. I, I was driving my car, 
And, um, and in the game that I had just played, you could push a button on the remote, and what it would do is it would zoom in your, your like, sight, and you could click the button and it'd be like 2x, just like on a camera, right? And then you'd click it again and it'd be 10x, and then you could zoom in 10 times closer. Um, and, and I'm driving my car now a couple days later, and it's like my eyes think that they can do that now. Like, so I'm driving and they're like trying to like, what? And I literally had this kind of a scary moment. I was like, what is happening to my brain? Like, what, what happened? And it's, it's almost as if staring at that screen for 26 hours, what it did is it like rewired my brain to start believing things that weren't true. Because I had stared at it for so long and that's the principle being taught here. He's saying, what you set your eyes on it's going to rewire your heart. It's going to affect not just one portion of your life, it's the light for your whole body. And in the context of this passage, what Jesus is saying is, if you set your sight on money, just having more money, that's not just going to affect your finances, that's going to bring darkness into all the areas of your life. It, it, it touches everything because it rewires your heart and it becomes dangerous because you start acting in fiction. You start making decisions that aren't based in the reality that God teaches us. He's, he's our ultimate reality. And the more we come close to the way the kingdom is shown to us through the teaching of Jesus, the more real life gets. The more you get to enjoy things the way that God designed them to be enjoyed. And, and we take so often good things that can be used for God and we make them an idol and we say, it's because it's number one. And that's what God's saying is, no, no, you can't do that. You can't put your eyes on it and stare at it all the time. It's not good for you. It leads to darkness. And I wonder, why is Jesus warning us so, so poignantly about this idea? It's because he's trying to protect us. He knows where this goes because he knows we think if we just had more money, then we would have stability. If we just had more money, then my fear that I have of the future would go away. And what Jesus is saying, actually, that's not how it works. Money can't be your stability because money is fleeting. He says, moth and vermin destroy. He, he's saying, it's temporary. You have no guarantee about what could happen tomorrow. We don't know where the economy goes. Like, there's so many variables that can happen. He's saying, it's temporary. So you can't bank on it for your stability. We have to bank on God for our stability, knowing that he will care for us. He will provide what we need. And, and we think it'll remove our fears, but, but if you make it what your lamp, like if you stare at it and put your priorities on money, you will end up in darkness. And inside of darkness, you will feel greater fear. You won't feel comfort. You won't feel at ease. You'll feel more and more afraid. So Jesus is warning us. He's saying, don't go that way. Come here. And, and, and the teaching is specifically about what we set our sight on. And so may it be, may it be that more and more what we, what we set our sight on is the things of heaven. Because heaven is invading earth right now. The kingdom is coming, but it's also here and we can set our sight on those things. I wanna see more and more getting a front row seat to the power of the gospel changing someone's life. Like, like that happened this morning and, and we need to see it. We need to see phases where it's like, I didn't believe, but now I believe and look at all that I'm experiencing through the power of the gospel. I need to set my sight on, on helping those who are in need and not just giving towards it, but also witnessing it and getting to be on the front lines in some regard so that I can see the work of the kingdom happening right now, set your sight on that. And you know what happens? It's your lamp for life. You will have all the light you need to go in whatever direction your body goes because your eye is set on the kingdom of God. 
It's set on the purposes of God, and that's what he's, he's bringing up this question. What is your sight set on? What's your sight set on? And then one last point from verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. His point is that we each must choose who to serve. There's a choice you have to make. Every single person in this room, we have to make this choice. Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve money? Because what he's bringing up is you can't, can't do both. And that's why he introduces such strong language. Jesus is being clear here, right? He's not beating around the bush. He's saying it very, very clearly for us. You can't do both these things. And he's not saying you can't have money. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you can't let yourself belong to money is what he's saying. It's okay that you have money, but when you have money, it's all about, Lord, what do you want me to steward? How can I use this for the things we've always used this for? For the furtherance of the gospel ministry and to help those in need. That's not the problem. It's when money starts having you. When you become the servant to it somehow, and as you chase after it, you feel like you have to obey whatever money says you have to do. It's, it's opposed to this life that we're, we're called to. It's the life of chasing after God and following in the footsteps of Jesus and, and doing everything you can. You study it and you say, this is what Jesus said, so I believe it. That life doesn't go with the life of saying, I need more and I need more and once I have more, I have to get more and it's all this life of more and more. You can't serve that end and serve the purposes of God. You can't have your cake and eat it. It's like, ah, I'd like to kind of do a little bit of both. God's saying, you can't. You must make a choice. You can either serve God or you can serve money. And as I thought about that this week, I thought about how, well, the weird thing is like no one ever would say, yeah, I, I serve money. Like we wouldn't, we wouldn't say that, right? So therefore, there's something a bit covert happening here in our hearts. This isn't something we're going to just blatantly say to one another. So the warnings and the, the questions I started thinking about, I was like, so what are the what are the things I can, I can ask myself to just make sure I, I'm staying on the path I want to stay on of, of serving God and, and being for his purposes? I just thought of a couple things um, that, that serving money might show up as in our hearts. One thought I had was if you, if you live in discontentment, if you live in discontentment, that might be a, a, a symptom that we're, we're serving money. And discontentment is... It, and I'm not talking about just having a moment of discontentment. I'm talking about living in it, where you feel like you, it's just never enough. And you're always having to strive for more and more. And the life of discontentment is incredibly exhausting. Like your heart has nowhere to rest. Because every time something comes your way and you gain something more, you're instantly, you can't even enjoy it because you instantly know there's some new more to chase after after this one. And it's just endless. It's never enough. I can never just say, hey, actually, I'm going to choose to be content. And, and I don't have to strive. I don't have to, you know, freak out about all these topics. I just know, like, God, God's got this. Like, God is my provider, and I'm going to choose to accept that he has me where I'm supposed to be, and I have what I need to have right now. And if that changes in the future, that's okay. If it goes more or less, I'm not afraid of it. I've learned to deal with both those things because the power of Christ is the one who lets me be content in that. And that's the life of God is, is we don't have to freak out and we don't have to be afraid about the future because we can stay content. And in that contentment comes rest for your soul. 
Man, in, in, in times where we're just constantly pressed, do more, do more. And if you believe that message, that's the life of discontentment. That's not the life God's calling us into. It's not saying, hey, I can't even enjoy a gift. I can't, I, I always think there's something else. That's not the life of the kingdom. So discontentment's a, a, a symptom that we always have to look at. And the other thing I thought of was integrity because to the people of God, integrity matters a lot. Whereas if you're serving money, you're allowed to just throw integrity out the window. It's just, hey, when you're serving money, it's the bottom line is all that matters. All I, I care is that I end up with this amount of money in the end, and if I have to shove a few people along the way to get there, then that's fine with me. But that's completely opposed. That's why I say you can't do both. You can't say I'm all about God loving the world and then with my actions trampling over the world. I can't do that. You have, those things have to go together. God loves the world. And so, yeah, in my job, I want to I gain income. I want to make more money, but I'm not going to just do it at all costs. I'm going to do it so that I have more opportunity to bless, more opportunity to give, more opportunity to build the kingdom. And as I'm going about it, I'm seeing people. Do I see people as I go about it? And that's why integrity is really important to us as Christians. The way we gain our income matters so much to us. And this is why that verse, I'm sure you've heard of it before. You know that verse that says that the love of money is, is the root of all kinds of evil? Well, I think that's a different way of saying the same thing, what, what Jesus is getting at. He's not saying that money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money isn't the problem. It's, it's falling in love with it that's the problem. It's setting your sight on it. It's making it your master. That's what he's saying. When it becomes the, the throne of your life, and what you will find is that if you want God to be sitting on the throne in your heart, there has to be a dethroning of money in order for that to happen. God is the only one who should be sitting there. He's the one who's, who's inviting us, and, and he's saying, it's, it's not the money, it's if you love it. Let me have your heart. Let me have your heart. Now, I know that I'm preaching this message. I'm not like preaching this to a church that just doesn't get it. <laughs> um, the, in the last year, I've been so encouraged and so blown away by the ways that this church has stepped up and we have paid down over $7 million of debt. And it, it, it is so miraculous. That's what I'm saying. That is a miracle. You're like, oh, does God still do miracles? Yes, you just lived through one. That is a miracle and it happened. And, and so I know I'm not preaching to a church that like doesn't understand this at all. And so I had to ask God, I said, Okay, well, this is the passage we're at this Sunday. So what is it, God, that you want me to say? Because <laughs> I'm not here to, you know, press someone about something if they're already living this. What is it? Why do you want me to preach this? I'm asking God. And I felt the Lord say two things. One, I felt the Lord say, well, you believe it's a part of your discipleship. And I was like, yes, Lord, that, I absolutely believe that. That's, that's the invitation is for my heart to change. He's like, well, then it's good to always remind people of that because I don't know where you're at and, and we are all at different points in our walk with Jesus and so it's an important thing to remind ourselves of that. But the second I felt the Lord say, don't, you don't have to focus on an amount or on a percentage or anything like that. The Lord just asked me to focus and invite those of you who, who are on the outside looking in on this topic that you would, you would like to be a part of everything's doing in the church except for this one area. And my challenge to you is to simply get rid of anything that's in the way for you to just start. And, and that can mean whatever it needs to mean to you because the enemy, here's what he wants. He just wants you to stay as far away as possible from this topic because he also knows the truth that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. 
And he also saying, he's like, if I can just keep them uninvolved, that's the best scenario possible. And what God is saying is like, just step into this. And I promise you, if you start giving towards the purposes of the kingdom and helping those in need, if you just start that, your heart will start to follow. It, it, will, it will follow that trajectory. And so my challenge is, if you've, if you've viewed this as something separate from your discipleship, if you view it as like, I, I just don't know, I, I can't think about this topic, clearly what God is saying is this matters because your heart matters. And so the challenge is, if you've never given, or if you've never given regular, you've never invested here in the church on the same things that the people of God has always given to, well then maybe today's the day. Maybe now is the time. And that's why to close, I wanna share with you these two verses from the New Testament, which I think are the most practical verses in regards to giving. Second Corinthians chapter nine, says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give, but should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There it is right there. You want to come in, you want to take the on-ramp into the highway of generosity. You want to enter into the space. There's your principles right there. First, he says that we give what we purpose in our heart. He's teaching us that we give willingly. Here at church, we give willingly, okay? There's, there's nothing someone should be saying to make you feel like I'm just so forced and I'm guilted into it. Honestly, if after hearing a message like today, you feel guilted, I would just say, well, then don't do it. Like, start the work in prayer and let God lead you to the place. But make sure you get to the point where you're just choosing it, that you want to because you, you see what Jesus has said and you see the principles and you say, no, no, I'm, I'm going to choose this. I'm willingly entering into this. Second thing you'll see in the passage is that we, we give not under compulsion or, or not reluctantly. That's the idea of we give intentionally. We all give intentionally. That means we don't give on a whim, okay? We don't give just like surprise, I decided to give. No, no, it's, that's not how it should happen in our hearts. We, we don't give on some emotional high. No, we give intentionally. This is why I love, last year as we gave um, our legacy offerings, it was announced before, and then we got the time to say, okay, now I'm gonna pray over it. I'm gonna decide what to do. I was able to plan it. Why? Because we give intentionally. It's not some, something we just instantly decide. No, we, we pray about it. We, we work towards it. We let the work happen in our hearts and partner with God in that way. And then finally, he says that God loves a tearful giver. That means that we give happily. We give happily. We got, if you can't, if you feel like you've never experienced the joy of giving, then you're really missing on what God presents to us. It's an invitation into a life full of light and joy. It's not something bearing down. It's not a burden to carry. It's a freedom to express. It's a freedom to have. The life of generosity is where you get to partner with God himself. And he says we're supposed to give happily. And if you feel like, man, I don't know, I, I don't feel like that happy, Thing happening when I give, my encouragement to you, here's, here's one thing that's helped me experience that joy as I give. And that is not to just send money, but it's to dive in myself and give time and energy and roll up my sleeves and get on one of those front lines we've talked about. Go into that nursing home, go on that missions trip, participate in one of the ministries because then you get to see with your very own eyes the effect that your giving is having. And when you start seeing that, what will happen in your heart is you start realizing, man, this is awesome. Like what an amazing thing that I get to be a part of this. And that's exactly how Christina and I feel. 
We, we just feel so blessed that we get to be a part of what God is doing here at New Life Church. And so from the beginning of our marriage, wherever we were, we've always said, okay, we're going to prioritize this. We're going to follow the same principles from the scripture, and we're going to give. And what we give testimony to you today about is this. It's true. <laughs> if you set your treasure, your heart follows. For every step that we took forward in regards to giving and in regards to generosity, we found our hearts changing. It's real. <laughs> That's what I'm here to tell you. It, it's real. It really is. And, and I can point you to a number of people who are sitting in this room right now. And if they could get up here on stage, they'd say the same thing. They'd say, it's real. So if you're one of those people, you're like, I'm, I'm a part of the church, but I just, I don't want to give to it. And you're kind of standing on the sidelines. We're all saying, hey, all the things Jesus said about this topic, it's all true. If you take this step and say, I'm going to put my treasure in heaven. I'm going to invest in the work of ministry and helping those who are in need. I'm going to start doing that right now here. Then you will see your heart start changing. And this is why we give here. And because we're not just making disciples here, Christine and I, we're, we're being discipled. This is the house that teaches us the gospel and we're being made disciples as we're here. And so we love contributing. We love being a part of everything that God is doing here. And my hope for us today is this, that you would see God's heart in it. He's not struggling for money. He doesn't need it. He knows what's gonna happen in your heart if you make the choice to treasure heaven, to treasure heaven above the things on earth. And while we live on earth, we treasure it, we invest in it, and what will happen is heaven starts invading into our hearts and heaven starts invading all around us. Let's stand as we pray together. Here in a second, I'm gonna pray for you, but I wanna go ahead and invite the servers to come forward um, after I pray. The ushers are also gonna lead you row by row to come forward, grab... Uh, your elements for communion, then I'll just invite you to keep those in your hand, return to your seat, and then um, Pastor Brady's going to come up and he's going to lead us in a time of communion. But before we do that, let me, just, let me just pray for you. Father, thank you that you've met us here. Thank you that you see us exactly how we are. Even if we wanted to hide, we can't. You see it all. And you see us and you love us. You you love us, though you see all of us. Though you have all the knowledge, you still love us in our imperfections and in our weakness. And so thank you, God, that you've been kind enough to show us the effects of treasure on our hearts. That's such a kindness of you to do that. So Lord, I pray that today would be a day of decision, a day of change. Holy Spirit, that you would guide what has to happen next for each person who's hearing the sound of my voice. I have no idea what they're walking through. I do not know their circumstances, but Lord, what I've found to be true is that your word is true. And so we believe that, and we're gonna put action to that. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us here. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can come forward and receive the elements.